0: Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding, and I have a special guest, our first two-time appearance, John Cairo, our lead solutions engineer. And we are coming off Black Friday, Cyber Monday week. Always a busy week, but today we are going to bring it back to the basics and talk about some tracking fundamentals. Uh, John has an amazing approach to just understanding and articulating in a very non-technical manner. John, why don't you, for those that don't that didn't listen to you on the first episode and maybe want to know a little bit more about you, provide a little A little bit of context with your own e-commerce brand experience and ownership, and then we'll jump into our primer, a tracking primer.
1: Sure. So first of all, thanks for having me back. I had to beg for a year, so it was, it was a long time coming. My background, just really quickly, before I started at Elevar, I had a bunch of Shopify e-com brands, sold a couple of them. And really, I have a technical background. I have an engineering background, but I didn't really understand tracking, to the, obviously, to the level I do now, working here for almost two years now. So... My experience with Shopify was, I don't know, almost like tracking uh, ignorant, I would say. I had a Google Analytics set up. I didn't know what was wrong. I really didn't know what was I missing. So when I got out of that space and came to Elevar, it was like, a, oh my God, kind of moment where I realized that probably I had lost out on significant amount of business, um, just because I didn't really know what was going on on the sites. All I did was put money into the ad channels and kind of like hope and pray. So that's, that's the background that I'm kind of coming from. Yeah. And now seeing all these amazing companies that we work with that just have tracking done so well on their sites and Seeing what comes out of that is, you know, it's it's pretty cool to see. And it's kind of like now I'm inspired to tell people like what they're missing. Because I know there's lots of people like me out there who have stores, but they didn't really do anything in terms of tracking with them. So that's, yeah. that, I think, yeah, I think that gives you a bit of a summary.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right, let's start with definitions. We have an outline that you put together. We're going to go through. So definitions, attribution, Google Google Analytics, and conversions. Do you want to just go through what your definition of is of those?
1: Yeah, sure. So we're not going to, let's not make this super, super technical. Let's keep it high level. Maybe some of these definitions, some people might disagree with, but for the sake of understanding, let's keep it really simple. So we're going to talk about attribution. All attribution is, is how you're assigning credit to something. So let's say a purchase happens on your website and that purchase came from a Google ad click. We're attributing it to Google ads. That's the attribution. That's how we're going to talk about attribution in this context. And let's also keep most of the conversation specific to purchase conversions. You can really label anything a conversion and add to cart can be a conversion. It's up to you. It's kind of arbitrary, but in this context, let's just talk about purchases. Elevar deals with a bunch of the tons and tons of events, but to keep things simple, it's just purchases. So we're trying to figure out attribution on purchases. All attribution is, is the label that we stick on it. Like it's Google ads or Facebook caused the purchase. And then one other thing you'll probably hear us talk about is Google analytics and Google analytics. For the sake of this discussion is just a place you can go and look at the attribution. This is where the attribution kind of shows up. It's a free place you can track this.
0: Am I missing anything? No, I, I think that's good. I mean, obviously there's other platforms that people might use for attribution analysis and multi touch and things of that nature, but we're gonna keep this fairly narrow as we go through some of these other topics, correct? And keep it fairly somewhat narrow to, to Google Analytics.
1: Yeah, this is supposed to be tracking one on one, so let's keep it as simple as we can. With us teaching, I oh, don't scare.
0: Yeah, yeah, you have, have to pull me out of the weeds here. All right, so okay. Tra- okay. the next thing, tracking is an old problem. It's not like tracking is new when Elevar started five years ago, or even when Facebook started or Google Ads launched. Advertising is not new. Break it down for us. What is uh, you know, what's your description of tracking as it's not a, as it actually is an old problem.
1: Yeah, so so I think some people think that this is like an e-commerce problem, but that's not true at all. I remember when I was a kid, my dad had a business and he always ran this ad in the yellow pages every year. I think he paid, it was like $10,000 to have this big ad for his business. And he didn't have a big team. He's just a tiny little business. And he didn't really understand whether this ad was contributing to calls to his business sales. He had no real way to determine that. So he kept on paying for this ad and I think he paid for it for like 20 or 25 years or something like that and he was just afraid to remove the ad because he thought maybe I'll remove it and I'll have a bad year cuz my ad's not running. This is this is the problem this is exactly the problem we're dealing with online. You're running ads and you're not exactly sure if they're having an impact or not and the problem's bigger online because there's way more channels. My dad maybe had 30 years ago, maybe he could advertise on the radio and the yellow pages in the newspaper, but now you can do all that and you can also advertise on all these online channels. You can advertise through affiliates that you can get referrals. There's organic. It just kind of goes on and on and on. And I think the job of the business owners to kind of figure out which channels are working and then lever up on them. So, so this is not an internet-specific problem, but we solve it online. How's that sound?
0: Makes sense to me. And just one one comment there. We've especially post iOS, we started to see more businesses doing that—the testing of removing a channel. So basically, rem- removing Facebook from their their pie chart of spend and see what impact that has on the, on the business. Again, without getting too into too many specifics on that, I think that strategy is something that we've started to see more and more. And that's where the rocker boxes and triple whales, North beams, et cetera, come in to help measure that. But I think that, that example you described of not knowing if he cuts off yellow pages, what's going to happen. I think that is what we're seeing platforms and brands do that today and helping measure that. So why, Let's get into why technical marketing matters. So, let's let's talk numbers here and this concept of tracking and understanding what is performing or not performing or maybe you just don't have any idea like dark social and and what's driving some of that performance. Why does that matter? Where does the the compound growth come in for this?
1: Yeah, so it's it's all about compound growth and uh, this is, you know, maybe uh, maybe I'm preaching to the choir here, but when you con- when you have compound growth, especially over periods of like years, it makes a really really big difference to the the bottom line. So, I have a couple of these worked out. So, if you have ten percent growth a year, your business doubles in seven years. If you have twenty percent growth a year, your business doubles in three and a half. If you have thirty percent growth a year, your business doubles in two and a half. These numbers are, we see these numbers with our clients. Like these are not unrealistic growth numbers. We see even significantly higher growth in this. But you can see how big of a difference, you know, going from 10 to 20% or going from zero to 10% makes long-term to the value of the business, whether you... Plan to sell it. If you plan to sell it, maybe it's worth twice as much when you do. Or if you have no intention of selling at all, it still means potentially at least the revenue doubled. Maybe maybe your profit hasn't, but we're talking about like long term big impacts that might not appear that big of a deal year to year. But as soon as you start stacking it up, it has a huge impact on the value of the business. So it has to matter. If you're not looking at this, then you know you. Can't, I would say you should be.
0: Yeah. So that if we bring that back to conversion tracking, if you see a 5% increase in performance for a particular channel or potentially move a small percentage of budget from one channel to another, even if it's 5%, that could have a 20, 30, 40% impact on the business. I'm not going to do public math, but you get get the idea. Is that is that the, the why behind compound growth and why these numbers matter? And ultimately it falls back to conversion tracking?
1: Exactly. So if we go back to my dad's Yellow Pages ad, instead of putting the $10,000 into an ad that he eventually found out wasn't doing very much, he could have put the $10,000 into a channel that had proven itself and, you know, was returning 10% or had an ROI number that he liked. So it's about like allocating limited resources, right? That's what it comes down to. And that's what conversion tracking essentially gives you.
0: Yeah. Okay, so how does conversion tracking work online? So let's let's think online or if you want to get into offline as well, but let's start with online. How does tracking work online? So there's a
1: bunch of different ways. Probably the one that you're, most people are familiar with is something called UTM parameters. So these, it's nice to look at a URL and maybe we'll figure out a way to put that in the podcast notes so you can see what we're talking about. But it's essentially... Um, text that you put after your URL. So if your URL is nike.com, then you can add some extra pieces to that nike.com URL. And those, those pieces carry information about where the click came from. So maybe it would have like Google and PPC, pay-per-click, or CPC. So it's essentially little labels that are attached to the links, and then those labels are interpreted by Google Analytics, and then you have a view into where these clicks and sales are coming from. So essentially, they're appended to the URL. Uh, You can Google UTMs, and you'll see what they look like. You've definitely seen them before everybody has. There's when you see those question marks and ampersands and URLs, That's one of the standard ways. That's one of the ways we rely on. There's something similar called a click ID, which is how Facebook does their click tracking and TikTok does their click tracking. These link clicks to ads, so slightly different. We know some people do tracking by IP, although this is becoming harder with Apple's Relay and bunch of other restrictions and then we know there's some browser fingerprinting that happens where a bunch of different parameters from a browser are taken and then there's some magic box that figures out you know who this person is but for the most part i would say for this discussion it's about utms and click ids
0: yeah what's the percentage of accuracy of each so utm parameters how accurate do you think they are when They're used and added to a link and then ultimately passed on to Google Analytics.
1: that's That's a tough question. So are we talking now about web tracking?
0: Yeah, so the way I'm looking at these four, so UTMs, click IDs, IP addresses, browser fingerprinting, and ultimately coming back to the question, how is conversion tracking or how is tracking managed online? Which one of these is the most accurate and what's that percentage? So for me, UTM ac- accuracy, I would put greater than 90%. So if you have links that have UTMs on it, it's likely that greater than 90% of those links are going to populate and show in your Google Analytics report. If you don't have them, then it's 0%, but if you do have them greater than 90%, so that I think that's the, as we work our way down, would you ag- agree with that 90%? Think it's higher, or lower?
1: Yeah, I would say so. From what we see, I would say that's probably about right for sure for typical browser side tracking. I mean, if they get through on the link, they'll hopefully get through on GA, but we know there's a bit of loss. So I'd I'd agree, around 90%, something like that.
0: Maybe 80. Maybe We won't get into the Maybe nuances 80. of client side versus <laughs> server side tracking <laughs> or headless and what happens with headless sites and potentially ghost referrals. But okay, so the next one, click IDs. So, click IDs, the Google Ads G click ID, the FB click ID, TikTok click ID, these would fall in that same realm of UTM parameters.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. Again, we're just appending into the URL, so same mechanics.
0: Okay. Next one would be trackers that don't rely on click IDs or UTM's, and they are they are relying on IP addresses. What do you think the accuracy is there? I won't. We won't uh, hold you, hold you to this.
1: Yeah, this one's harder. And because we really don't do any of this, I I don't know if I could even come up with an educated guess for you. I would say for sure it's lower than using UTMs. But I don't, I I would say maybe 75%. That's what I'm going to guess. What do you, what's your guess?
0: Less than 50. Yeah? Yeah, well, you can see it with, uh, I think it was 15, iOS 15.5. I can't keep all the numbers straight, but one that was released, I think, in the spring where you would see, you'd, be, you'd pass the IP address to Google Analytics and then all this traffic that is from the UK now suddenly is being reported as from the United States in GA. That's just one small example. And then you have the, I think they were stripping off the last digit in the IP address. Uh, then you obviously you have the relay, like you mentioned as well with uh, with one of the other iOS. So to me, it's an IP address in terms of really targeting and, and having true accuracy down to a person, let alone a region, would be pretty low. Yeah, yeah. Ad, ad blockers.
1: Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll talk about the ad blockers a little later, but some channels are forced to rely on your IP address. Like if you listen to a podcast, well, oftentimes if there's no click through, if there's no link because you can't attach UTMs, the tracker will rely on your IP address and try to kind of do the attribution through that. So that, that seems like a bit of a mugs game, difficult when IP addresses are becoming more obfuscated yeah. And then the last one is browser fingerprinting and this one there's some pretty interesting technology out there and I think some of them claim that they can identify like 95 or 99% of browsers but again not something that we work with a lot.
0: Yeah. How do you think without going to in the naming who who claims the 95% but the solutions out there how do you think they're able to do that? What's their what's their secret sauce?
1: Yeah, so apparently from from my understanding, what they're doing is they're taking a bunch of different characteristics of the browser. So they would take like the user agent and now we're in Tracking 101 and we're starting to really get into the weeds. Yeah, yeah. But they would take a bunch of characteristics of your browser, like maybe how big your window is and what computer you're browsing on and maybe your IP and maybe a couple other different things. And they would say, this looks a lot like this other person that maybe we've identified Identified elsewhere, And then they start doing some black magic and they can figure out who that person is across a browser. I know that it breaks down when you use a different browser. And I also know that it breaks down when you use a different device. So it's great if your users are just using Chrome on their MacBook or just using Safari on their iPhone. But once we get past that, that, you know, happy path, things break down, even with browser yeah. fingerprinting.
0: Yeah, yeah. okay. Any other ways that people are or channels are doing tracking, and when it comes back to again their implementations of their just general trackers or conversion tracking, or is that the main? I think for
1: me, I think those are the main four. Did you think I missed anything? Any big ones?
0: Difficulties. What are some of the difficulties with standard tracking? We started to allude to some of some of that with ad blockers and headless sites, but what are uh, what are some of the difficulties?
1: Yeah, I think one of the big questions, you know, I often get when I talk about this stuff is people say, like, don't these channels have ways to do this? Can't you just add a script to the site and then all of this stuff is just tracked? And I think there's some truth to that. Sometimes in a perfect world, that is the case. There is a chance that it all just works. But for the most part, there's always complications because everybody's store is different. And, you know, there's a ton of stuff that gets in the way. Ad blockers is one big issue. Ad blockers essentially prevent, however they do it, they do, the, do it in a multitude of ways, but they essentially prevent the information from getting into the channels we want to analyze the information. And in. so maybe the, instead of sending the conversion event to Google Analytics, it never gets there. So we just can't see it. Or maybe in some way the information isn't passed in full. So we don't have attribution data. We might have the purchase event in Google Analytics, but when we look and see who it's attributed to, like was it a Google ad click or a Facebook click? It's just it says direct none instead. We don't know where it came from. So so there's those problems with ad blockers. Some people will have landing pages where they send people from ads and then From the landing page, they'll have to send you to their Shopify store. So let's say the landing page is like an info page. And then the intention is for them to hop from that info page to a product page. And then there's an add to cart that happens in a purchase. Maybe in that path... The UTMs that we talked about earlier or the click IDs that we talked about earlier are lost. And this happens all the time. And then when they actually make the conversion, it looks like it was direct traffic or maybe it was organic traffic or it's mislabeled. So now when you go in Google Analytics, you can't be confident in where the traffic is coming from. And again, it's back to this yellow pages thing. Is my ad working? Like I spent a whole bunch of money on Facebook, but it says, I had no conversions. Is that true? So, you know, it's about being confident. And I think I could go on about like, you know, tracking subscriptions and upsells and all the problems we run into every day. But the fact of the matter is it's typically it's just not that easy to do tracking. It's just it's more difficult than just including a script in Google Tag Manager or in your online store. There's a lot more to it and to do it properly and make sure all of the data gets there. It's a technical thing. It's just as technical as building the front end of your website, right? it's just as complicated as that. So, maybe not surprising that there's not like an out of the box solution that just works. Yeah.
0: Well, there's this one company called Elevar that I've heard works pretty well, especially if you get their server side tracking up and running. Yeah, isn't is an infomercial, but I want to go back to the how tracking is done online. So we we, we did miss one Post-purchase surveys. So how did you hear about us? Mm. Thoughts on on that one?
1: Yeah, I love those. And I was thinking we'd maybe touch on those. I have a section below kind of on like dark, dark traffic and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, for sure. I think there's some really interesting stuff happening there. Do you want to talk about it now?
0: No, no. So that's probably your dad asking like, Hey, how'd you hear about us? Just in person. And they're saying, Oh, my friend told me about you. Did you know that there's this dark social thing happening? But anyways, that was one of just, if we're going to touch on that later, all good. So to put a, a cap on those difficulties with standard tracking. Yeah. To me, you summarized a bunch of them, ad blockers, landing pages, info pages that are different top level domains. Subscriptions, and if you want to split the conversion for a subscription, so a one-time subscription versus a, or sorry, one-time purchase versus a subscription purchase, because mm-hmm. if it's a subscription, maybe you want to pass LTV or or something different to Google Ads or other channels that can optimize and find more customers like that because they're more valuable, which means you can spend more to acquire them. Headless sites, we have now the new checkout one from Shopify, which is a, com- a completely different checkout. WebPixel API, everything uh, consent, GDPR, CCPA, CRPA, the five new states in the U.S. that have their own new CRPA uh, rolling out in 2023. It seems to never end. All right. So we'll bring it back, get out of the weeds on the the difficulties. So next one, next topic we have is what if I advertise on one channel only? Why yeah. Would we, yeah. So I need to worry about tracking. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I hear this sometimes just, you know, in conversations, it's like, well, I only advertise on Google ads. So do I really need isn't everybody who comes in just coming from Google ads? And the fact of the matter is it's not because some of it's going to be organic. At least if you opened up your site yesterday, okay, maybe. If you opened up your site yesterday, you have no referrals, nobody knows about you, and the only traffic that's coming in is paid traffic from Google Ads, okay, maybe there's a chance that you can get a good grip and understanding on where your conversions are coming from. But as soon as you have organic search. And as soon as you have people telling others about your store or people typing URL directly in the address bar because they know your name, you have different channels, different marketing channels in play. And you want to know, is it the Google ads that are bringing people in? Or is it uh, organic traffic? or people coming in through Google? Or did somebody just post something on a blog about my store and that's where all my traffic's coming from? So it's not just about ad channels paid ad channels it's about every single marketing channel affiliates you know influencers it goes on and on um so it's again it's complicated when you have a, a mix of media that you need to track you can't just assume it's all coming from the one channel you're paying for so yeah i don't know if you have anything to, else to add on that issue
0: yeah my my thoughts are A little bit different, even if you were only advertising on one channel and you, let's say you don't have conversion tracking set up, then that channel is never going to be efficient for you. So the, we see so many, if we just think Facebook and Google ads, both of them rely very heavily, if not the most, the primary uh, piece of data is the conversion data that you're passing back in, because that's, is what they are going to use to determine if the ad is going to be is going to prove an ROI for you, which means they're more likely to show it as part of their whole algorithm, they're like the bidding algorithm on Facebook, and then obviously Pmax with Google Ads. But these a lot of these machine learning algorithms they need more data in order to operate more efficiently, and the, we see this time and time again, especially especially for customers that come to Elevar that are either on subscription platforms like an offsite checkout or international checkout like GlobalE or Flow where they don't have cappy integrations, or they don't have server-side tracking set up for those checkouts, and we get them live, and then within less than a week, they're immediately saying, our CPMs have dropped significantly, and now we can actually start scaling our international ads because Facebook just can perform better. So that, to me, if it was just one brand only prospecting on, on Facebook, or using Facebook as their primary channel, you still want to maximize the data so Facebook can be as as efficient as possible, and that comes back to your point earlier about compound interest. So growth, growing profit, maintaining profit. You know, if, if the plan is to exit the store or whatever it might be, is those things all uh, ultimately connect at the end of the day?
1: Hundred percent. The next thing we're going to try and tackle, and this might be a little bit this might be a bit of a tough one, but let's let's talk a little bit about click models. Do you, do you, do you want me to take this one or do you want to try and take this one?
0: It's one-on-one. It's one-on-one, so you take it.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay, so maybe you've heard of something called last-click attribution and first-click attribution. These are attribution models or click models. I'm going to give you a scenario. So let's say that you're browsing on Facebook and you come across an ad and you click on the ad in Facebook and you end up on, let's use Nike again, you end up on Nike's site. You like the shoes, You maybe want to buy a pair of Air Force Ones you find, right? But you don't buy them right away. You think later that night and you're like, I'm going to go check out those shoes again, I'm going to go check them out, buy them. So you go to Google to try and find that link again. You've closed the tab. You search Nike Air Force Ones. Maybe you see a Google ad now for them because Nike's always running ads. So now you click on the Google ad to get back to the product that you originally landed on. So there's two ad clicks in this behavioral path now. You've clicked firstly on Facebook and then the second click you clicked on a Google ad. Now, let's say you buy the shoes. If you're looking at this data, you have to ask yourself, how do you want to see it? Do you, do you want to see this conversion attributed to Google or do you want to see it attributed to Facebook? And let me be super clear. Do you want to see it attributed to Google ads or Facebook ads? You have to make this or decision. Or both. Or both, yeah. So th- this is essentially what click models boil down to. By default, Google uses something called last non-direct click. So, sorry, Google Analytics uses last non-direct click. Universal. Universal Analytics. Universal (laughs) Analytics. Thank you. Uses last non-direct click. So if you were to look at this transaction in Google Analytics, let's say you go and look for the transaction from Shopify, it'll show you the attribution or what that conversion is attributed to was Google Ads. It will, it will not show you Facebook. But, but Facebook made this happen, though, in this case. I would have maybe never have known about the Air Force Ones if I didn't click on the Facebook ad so are we really going to give all the credit to Google ads for this when they were just kind of in the way of this process? And this is what click modeling is all about. So, you know, Facebook's getting obscured. If this happened a hundred times and you went into your Google analytics and you saw all these conversions attributed to Google, maybe you cut your Facebook spend completely because you're just like, well, everyone's coming from Google ads, but it was all caused by Facebook initially. So this is this is now you have a choice, you can choose last click and you can choose first click and there's other click models that we won't get into that distribute. But this is what click modeling is, is how do we decide where we attribute where we place blame essentially for what's happening. And there's a new model, and maybe this one I'm gonna leave on you. Data driven attribution in Google Analytics for the new Google Analytics. How does how does that all work?
0: It's supposed to be one-on-one, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I, to keep it fairly high level, I mean at the end of the day, I don't I don't truly know exactly how it works because Google isn't releasing that IP, but it's They, The concept of of the data-driven model, which Google Ads has had this for a while, and now they've applied it to GA4, and you can actually change between, in your GA4 instance, you can look at all of your reports through the data-driven model, or you can go look at last click or first click, et cetera. But it's essentially Google doing its own distribution, custom distribution, so that if they can detect a customer had four touch points, final conversion was $100, then they'll distribute Facebook gets 20, Google Ads gets 40, organic gets 10, or you know, whatever it is. And that's that's essentially that data driven model. Again, without without really getting too deep in the weeds, that's the that's the core concept behind it. Which is also, if you think about some of the other e com analytics and attribution platforms, that is largely one of the big benefits that they are doing, especially with the delays in the Facebook reporting that came out after iOS, was people were lost because there was such a delay in reporting inside of Facebook. So we would see or we saw a significant number of people moving to Google Analytics, finally getting their UTM click tracking in place because it was a mess. So they were relying on view through attribution and some of the some of the other standard reports in place in these platforms. And uh, I don't want to leave it as a cliffhanger, but data driven model, GA4 again distributing it very similar to what you might see in in other platforms. And uh, that's that.
1: Yeah, and going back just really quickly to our example where the guy's clicked on the Facebook ad and then he's clicked on the Google ad, instead of having to choose, basically we're going to say this is a little bit hypothetical, but basically we're going to say 50% of the credit can go to Google ads and 50% of the credit can go to Facebook instead of having to choose. So, like Brad said, we don't know exactly how this all works, but we do know it's interesting and it gives you a better view, I think, personally, into what's going on with your ads.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So where does uh where does tracking break? I mean, we talked a little bit about this earlier with some of the difficulties. Is that a lot of the same reasons and examples or what's what's different with this?
1: Yeah, so this is kind of to your points earlier about you know dark traffic and doing post-purchase surveys. So we do have these problems where let's say somebody clicks an ad on a phone, they find out about these Nike Air Force Ones they want to buy, but then they end up going home and purchasing on their desktop. It's going to be difficult to link the ad click to the purchase because you know Google Analytics likely won't know that they're the same uh, person. So then we end up with what's called direct non-traffic that's essentially unattributed traffic. It just looks like the person typed in your website name and came directly to it. Now, this happens legitimately all the time, but in many cases, it's not legitimate direct traffic. Somebody did hear about you through an ad or through you know an influencer or something like that, and then just because of the series of steps they took, they've lost the information for the conversion. So there's really cool post-purchaser phase and what they do is after the person makes the purchase they're presented with a little usually it's a multiple choice answer and it asks you hey how did you hear about us and they would fill in you know whoa it was a google ad or we found out about you on facebook and now we kind of get back some of that information about the conversion and we can say okay our facebook ads actually are performing well tons of people are saying that's where they find us although they look like they're direct traffic or they look like they're coming from instagram or or whatever um yeah anything you can add to to that anything i missed uh not really
0: well a little bit but you didn't really miss anything it's it's just one more framework to think about it's the what channels are creating demand for you this is very much i read a lot about this in the SaaS world but What channels are creating demand, like your example of how would I even even known about those Air Force ones or whatever product might be, how would I even know that existed? So what what are the channels that are driving that demand creation versus what are the channels that are the closers, like the capturing demand? Again, that's a very sassy, specific creating demand, capturing demand, which capturing demand would be like Google Ads or Google Organic, where people are searching for a specific term. They're already in market. And then you just have those ads in place to capture that existing demand. So that's to me where some of the post-purchase surveys can can come in to help with that. Okay, what are some of the channels that are creating demand like a TikTok or something else, which we've seen that skyrocket in, in the last couple of years and responses. But people may not be coming back to convert TikTok because I would get that question from a lot of our customers. I'm sure you've got it as well of, you know, we're getting so much traffic from TikTok, but. Google reports nothing. Google Analytics doesn't report anything. And to me, the that's probably fairly normal. Today might be a little bit different with the holiday shopping season, but it's that uh, creating demand, then continuing to stay in front of them and then ultimately either getting them on an email list. So your conversion point isn't a purchase. It's traffic to the site to getting on an email or SMS list where then you can nurture and ultimately work them down the funnel or remarket through different channels.
1: Okay, let's move on to beyond better attribution. So we've talked about why this matters and how it all works, but sending better data to these channels actually has more benefits than just getting good attribution. Do you wanna maybe talk, you've already touched a little bit on this, but do you wanna maybe talk a little bit about this? You go. Okay, (laughs) okay. So one of the reasons this is it's good to get good data into the channels is because, well, one of the most important things about Facebook advertising and Google advertising is them sending you good customers, customers who are likely to convert. So it's really important that you're telling them who's converting on your site because they have... You know, great machine learning techniques that allow them to figure out who's most likely to convert on your site. So, the better information you pass them, the more likely they are to send you good uh, converting customers, which obviously is good for your business. Not only that, but better data there reduces costs for you on the ads too. They want people to click through on ads and they want people to buy. It's a good user experience, especially, you know, you hear this on about Facebook all the time. They want people to buy. It's not like they, they don't. They want this funnel to work for people. And the more you can make it appear like it's working in Facebook, the better. And you do that by sending them really good data. So there's this upward cycle of, you know, better data, better customers and reduced ad costs. Uh, So it's not all about attribution. There's some other benefits that probably have pretty significant impact, although maybe hard to quantify.
0: Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly. I don't hit the nail on the head with that one. Okay. Okay. Last thing
1: I wanted to chat about, or I thought we should chat about, is other tracking. So all we've really gone over now is just like a purchase event. Somebody purchases, how do we attribute it? But there is other tracking. And if this is tracking 101, maybe we should talk about other things that you would track on your website and other things people find kind of important so we don't leave you in the dark on all all that stuff. Yeah. So, i mean you've done a lot of this yeah i think this one's yeah
0: yeah this this to me it's the once you have your basic conversion tracking in place where you have it it's running it's functioning it's working for you not against you then the natural next step to me is how do you get your existing traffic to convert better i mean we all think and i've been building optimizing working on sites for i'm going to age myself too long, 15 plus years. And even our own site doesn't convert as as well as it should. And probably not tracking it well enough, not analyzing, not doing enough testing, not iterating. And when you apply that to an e-commerce site, again, going back to that compounding growth example is especially with ad costs and the market, whatever is gonna happen in 2023, I certainly see a significant focus on conversion optimization, which you can use your gut you can go to Baymart Institute or go to other research sites that have a lot of the, their own research that they've turned into their best practices where you can just R&D it, just rob, rob and duplicate it. Or you can use your own event tracking. So adding tracking to, okay, what what are people clicking on in my navigation? Are they converting? Are people watching that video on the product page? Are they converting? And using that information, that quote unquote tracking to inform a, a stronger analysis a stronger hypothesis to ultimately instead of winning 10 percent of your cro experiments is is if you can move from 10 percent wins to 20 to 25 to 30 percent that can make a significant improvement in conversion rate which means more money which means your channels getting potentially finding more customers for you and that becomes a flywheel so that to me is, is why in 2023 this type of tracking and analysis is going to just be might be near the top of the list for many e teams versus 2020 2021 where we're all riding the the covid uh wave
1: mm. yeah well I, we had we had to restrain ourselves a little bit i think there's some other stuff we'd love to talk about but we're at 40 40 minutes plus should i think we, the next two, uh, yeah the we...
0: next two topics would get us out of the 101 and definitely into the maybe 102 or 201 as uh, but we'll we'll save those so it'll be the depths of server side tracking, consent management, and a few others which we'll save for a future episode. Alrighty, well, John, thanks for hopping on, sharing your knowledge, and uh, that's it, all we got, right?
1: This is awesome. That's all we got. Thanks for having me again.
0: All right, see you next time. See ya. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. that's E-L-E-V-A-R, Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again.